0: 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but... With precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God would you please pray with me? So Father, I make myself available to you today and Lord Jesus, I ask that your hand would be upon me as I share these things as I pour out uh, just a little bit of what I believe you've poured into me. and God let it let it touch fertile soil today. Let us receive what you want us to receive today. Thank you for what you have done already today. Thank you for the level of encouragement in this room that is increasing today and the level of faith and hope that's going up. And truly, God, our faith and hope is in you. It's not in government. It's not in elections. It's not in anything but in you. Come and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm assuming all of us know that when you come to Jesus, verse 17, you get to address God as father. You actually get to use the same name as Jesus used in Mark 14, verse 36, when he's sweating like drops of blood and he says, Abba. That was a very close name that Jesus refers to God as his own father, his very own definite father that the jews always knowing god was a father never would call them my father and yet jesus even in the lord's prayer says we'll pray like this our father if we address god as father if he really truly is and we are that means we are his children his beloved children if we do that, then we're supposed to, and he does it impartially, he impartially judges everyone according to their work, no matter who they are, no matter what they did, whether they were a pastor or not a pastor, whether grandpa was a pastor or not a pastor, any of those things, impartial. Whether you're born of Abraham or if your lineage goes back to a Gentile, a Greek or European, that doesn't matter. He's going to judge impartially Conduct yourselves, verse 17, in fear during your time on earth. Now, when you deal with the word fear, you really got to pay attention because to fear God does not mean to be afraid of him. First John chapter four. We got to use all of the Bible when we're looking at verses like this. First John chapter four. Perfect love casts out All fear, and in that context, is the fear of that very judgment that's being talked about here. He impartially judges, and yet here, it's the way that we conduct ourselves during our time on earth, which is telling us this isn't the only place we're going to be spending time. After our time here, we're going to be spending time either in one place or the other. And so in the meantime, what we are supposed to do, if we address him as father, we're supposed to conduct ourselves with this sort of fear he's talking about. And this is why I'm saying, I believe it is so important that we understand that the fear of the Lord is to care more about what God thinks than what anybody else thinks. OK, uh, Proverbs chapter three on Wednesday night, this this past Wednesday the the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 3, verse 7, is to turn away from evil. Well, so you, why do we turn away from evil? Because God doesn't like it. Whether I think it's pretty cool or not. I care far more about what God thinks. In fact, the first part of that verse says, be not wise in your own eyes. Because there's someone who has wisdom. You care more about what he thinks. So just thinking about this, um, my mind was brought to 2 Samuel chapter 6 when David is celebrating because the ark is coming into Jerusalem. And you remember the passage, he is singing, he's dancing, he's celebrating before the Lord. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city that Michal, the daughter of Saul, which is his wife, remember that? It says, Looked out. See the eyes? She looks out and she sees what he's doing. And you may recall when David now, he's very reverent in this. He is dancing before the Lord and he is very reverent because he goes in and then offers the offerings that he's supposed to offer before the Lord. This is holy, wonderful reverence before God. And I say that because sometimes... Uh, Baptist folk, whom I love, they'll hear some things. Unless you say part of the definition that they've always heard, though I'm not sure this guy understands the fear of the Lord. I know you have heard it's reverential awe, okay? And I love you. I just want you to know there's more to the definition of the fear of the Lord than reverential awe. How does that work out in your life? It means to care more about what God thinks. Than what anybody else thinks, even if they're in your own home. When David returned to bless his household, Mikal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king has distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servant. He uncovered himself. You bared yourself, you made a fool of yourself. And David replies to her verse twenty one, second Samuel six, verse twenty one, David said to me, call, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his house to appoint me a ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel, that therefore I will celebrate before the Lord. He David cared more about what God thought than what anybody else thought. And thus, David was a man after God's own heart. He cared about what was on God's heart. And what got me thinking about this message today was when I was in Psalm 142 and I'm reading through Psalm 142. This is a wonderful Psalm. And it says, Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. Verse four. Nobody cares for me. And in the psalm he's crying out, say, God, just look. Nobody cares about me. And now the psalm ends with, the Lord will deal bountifully with me. What do people do when they don't think anybody cares about them? What do they do when the people in their life who should care about them don't? Sometimes it just appears like they don't, but there's other times that they really, unfortunately, don't. There are people listening to this message who the very folks who should have loved you, provided for you, protected you, taken care of you, didn't. They didn't. What do you do? Well, the human psyche will do all kinds of things if we don't hurry up and run to one whom we can call father now i'm back in first peter again first peter chapter one where i began from and he says this verse 18 knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers This isn't how God redeemed you. This isn't how he ransomed you. What if God could have taken all of the money in the world? What if he could have taken all the silver and all of the gold? Would that have been enough to purchase your soul? Not according to Psalm 49 that says that there is no ransom that can be paid for a man's soul. There's no amount of money on earth that can do this. Furthermore... Song of Solomon verse or chapter 8 verse 7 says if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house he would be utterly despised Song 8 verse 7 and this is all God wants us to do he wants us to love him This is all he wanted Israel to do Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 all he he all he really wanted Israel To do was love him in return. Because if you really, really love someone, keeping their commandments just kind of flows out of you. Let me put it this way. I vacuum because I love my wife. Not because I love to vacuum, nor because I like a clean carpet. I could care less about that stuff. I put those dishes away, not because I think they ought to be put away. I'm still vacuuming. I put those dishes away because I love her. And I don't have to wait till she asks me to. Always. Always. This is what happens when you love somebody Jesus said so that the whole world would know that I love the father. I do exactly as he commands me. This is born out of love. And if God could have given all of the money in the world just for one person in here, it would not have been enough. Because even all the money in the world could not express the love that he has for you. Beloved, this is how much he loves you. What did it cost him? Blood. Not perishable silver and gold, but blood. Precious. She has a precious blood. The blood of Christ. Now let me tell you one thing I don't postulate on. And I don't try to con- uh, contemplate. There are some things, like the psalmist says, some things are too lofty for me. I don't, it cost the Father, for God so loved the world He gave His only Son. We can't fathom that cost. I honestly think the depths are to be so deep that we just keep on exploring and exploring and exploring and keep exploring, and just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. But what did it cost Jesus? You know. Think of what, and here's what I don't postulate. This is what I don't try. I don't try to think, well, was it more of a cost for the father or was it more of a cost for the son? And the reason I don't do that is I've never done either one. And who in the world am I to talk about just what the father felt? And then I'm not the one who hung on a cross for everybody else's uh, penalty. So who am I to talk about it? All, all I, I, what I really do is I marvel at it. I bow my knees and I worship Him because of it. But I do often think, Oh Father, what must that have cost? Just what must you have felt? And oh Jesus, uh, just what must you have really felt and gone through at that moment? And. What this does for me is when I feel like nobody cares about my soul, it causes me to go once again to the feet of Jesus to receive my value and worth as one of his treasured possessions. If we try to seek our value and worth in other things, it will always lead us into a place of error or despair or discouragement or disappointment. Here's the truth. Nobody can love you the way you were created to be loved. Only your creator can do that. And then according to this Bible, Jesus is your creator. That's John chapter 1. It's Colossians chapter 1. Jesus Christ Created you God, the father created everything that is through Jesus and the very one who created you says you have so much value that I am going to give my blood for you. That's where we get our value from. Do you guys remember the movie in 2017 that came out called all the money in the world? It's the story of when John Paul Getty III was kidnapped in 1972 in Rome. And he was the grandson of the richest man in the world. One of, if not the first billionaire ever to live, John Paul Getty. And John Paul Getty actually was the one who figured out how to get oil from Saudi Arabia and transport it. And he made all kinds of money. So they kidnap his grandson and they want 17 million dollars for his return. And John Paul Getty the senior doesn't want to pay it. Can you imagine? You've got billions and you're not willing to pay 17 million for your own grandson, your namesake. He had 14 grandsons or grandchildren, but this one was his namesake. My timer's about to go off. So I'll finish the story next week. Just kidding. And Christopher Plummer is playing uh, Old Man Getty. And you may remember Kevin Spacey was supposed to play that character. But Ridley Scott, the director, had to reshoot all of those scenes because Kevin Spacey uh, was under all kinds of uh, problems having to do with sexual misconduct. And so they pulled him out. And they put in Christopher Plummer. And I'm looking at going, Christopher Plummer does not look Italian to me at all. But if you go online and look at the actual John Paul Getty, he actually kind of does look like him. So finally then the kidnappers come back and say, okay, seven million. And he still won't pay it. They finally cut his ear off. Do you remember this story? They cut off his right ear after three or four months of him being in captivity. And they send that ear back. The whole time the mother's been pleading with grandpa to pay this. Dad is out of the picture. John Paul Jr. is out of the picture. And when they finally send that, he agrees to pay them. Um, He got them down. Let me try to get this right. He got them down to something like three $100,000, I think, was what they were going to take. And he gave them 2.2, and he made his son pay the rest. I may have that wrong. He may have been 2.2 million because they got him down to three, but he made his son, that's what it was, his son had to pay the other 700,000. And that was because this richest man in the world could only write off 2.2 million as a tax deduction. All the money of the world, all the silver, all the gold, more money than he knew what to do with, and this old man dies in 1976. John Paul Getty III, after he got out, he married. very young, He was 16 when this happened. He married about age 18 to a woman who already had a kid. He has two more kids, and one of them is an actor today, um, Bel Hazar. Getty is his name. He's been in some movies like Mr. Holland's Opus. He played one of the younger characters in the flashback scene, things like that. Well, John Paul Getty III had a stroke at age 24, and he was paralyzed in a wheelchair at age 24, and they ran out of money. They had to sue his own dad, John Paul Jr., to help pay some of the medical expenses for his own son. And then he would die in 2011 at age 54. I mean, just try to get your mind around this. All the money in the world. And God could have gathered all of it up to pay for you. And he didn't. When we're talking about this, it's very important. This ransom that Jesus was willing to pay, that God was willing to pay for our souls, who was the ransom to? Here's the awesome thing. God was not paying Satan to let us go. Okay? C.S. Lewis got that a little bit off in, in, uh, Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. Still a great story, don't get me wrong. But you remember Aslan, the Christ figure, has to have a talk with the witch in order for the kids to get free. That's not. God does not negotiate. <laughs> Aren't you he doesn't bargain. He doesn't try to lower the cost. The ransom has to do with the cost that it takes to set his children free. You remember when we found where Saddam Hussein was? They had to consider the cost of going in there and executing that mission, and it might cost some human lives. That was the cost. That's the ransom. The cost for us is what gives us our value. You are worth more than 17 million. You're worth more than 7 million. You're worth more than 3 million. You are worth the blood of Jesus. That's what you're worth. So when someone else does not treat me as though I'm very valuable, what I have to do is i got to get back to center. I've got to position my heart under Jesus. And I have to ask Him once again to communicate to my heart my eternal worth and value. And that really is only based, or primarily, the main thing this should be based upon is the cost He knew full well the cost, full well the cost, and he was willing to pay it anyway. Can we get our value from that? Not from degrees, not from career paths, not from how much money we've made or haven't made, Uh, not based on how well things are going for us today or seem to be going. What if we got the bulk of our value from the very one who paid cost for our lives and I'll just uh, close with this statement. It's so costly, and yet it's so free. It's so cost- costly, and it's so free that man's pride has trouble receiving it. And then if that doesn't work, shame will get in the way. And the devil will come at you with one of those two things. He'll either come at you with pride, no, you got to do something to earn this, or shame, you're not worth this. <laughs> What do you do when the devil tells you you're not worth this? Here's what I suggest. When you have those thoughts, you respond by saying, well, Jesus thinks I am. Jesus is the one who assigns value to you and to me. I feel like God would like to uh, touch somebody with his love today. And so, God come and Come and touch us. Come and move on some hearts. Lord Jesus, I pray for a holy boldness right now. I ask that you'd stir in some people's hearts. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that you would pour your love into people's hearts. If this message is spoken to you in some way, and you'd like to come up to the front, I'd like to just pray for you briefly. So if there's three of you, I'll just kind of go down the line. I just want to pray for each of you that, that God would just touch you. A lot of times it's called a baptism of love, that God would touch you uh, with his love. And so if, if that's you, if that speaks to you, um, please come up to the front.